What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com amazing to start your springtime adventure. We're going to bring you on to our huddle. You are in the Warriors Huddle with me, Bram. With me, as always, my producer, Marcus. What's up, Dev Nation? And our master of all things sound, Maxine. How's it going? Gentlemen, we got two guests today. I mean, really, just packed to the gills with off-season goodness. I'm fired up for both of them. But I got to tell you, I'm going to be honest right from the jump. I've been distracted. I didn't want to talk about this last time because I didn't really want to put that much importance behind KD, which is ridiculous. I can see that now. Let me just ask you, do you guys support at all this notion that Lacob is saying that no one is going to wear number 35 now that KD is gone? And we'll just cover this really fast and then we'll welcome in the guests. But I have to get this itch scratched because it's driving me crazy. I think you have to do it as the owner. What are you talking about? Oh, my God. I can't even let you finish that sentence. What do you mean has to do it? He played for another franchise, OKC. They didn't have to do it. He's playing chestnut checkers, Bram. Chestnut checkers. It's the long game. He's... It's there was some controversy with how KD left, obviously, and you know, Lakeup is sitting there thinking, what's the best way that I can treat a superstar player, and even when he leaves and spurns us, make sure that we look like we take the high road, and he did that, and it's just paving the way for Giannis to come. I don't know what upset me more. The fact that you said chestnut checkers condescendingly or said it twice and added my name in between in case I wasn't sure who you were talking to. There's only two people other than you in this room. I knew it was directed at me. Maxime, do you agree with this craziness? Well, now I'm mad at everybody because here's the thing is I was going to pull the, yeah, because one day we're going to retire number 34 as well. And then MT stole that line from me because I'm all in. I do think it's chestnut checkers. I think it's an example of how we should behave towards free agents that haven't joined Look the Look at Bram when you say that next time. Yeah, well, I I wasn't sure. Were you talking to me? Because I'd like you to include my name next time. Otherwise, (laughs) I'm not sure at all, at all. This was 
ridiculous is what this was. It, it is an effort to show, I think, it's an effort to show the world that we don't care about his party. But I'll tell you, there's a different way to look at it that upsets me, all right? What this does is overvalue the KD era. It's almost as if Lacob is looking back nostalgically at something that happened last year. To me, the suggestion is, well, those championship dynastic years are behind us. We better honor them as much as possible. Let's start dipping jerseys in bronze now, which is exactly what I do not want to hear. I do not think that it helps bring in Yanis, and I think that it is a unnecessary homage to a player, and I'm going to say this, although I shouldn't, who I've come to hate. I'm just going to say <laughs> I hate him now. Go ahead. I, I wasn't going to try to trigger your Yanis take, but why does this help uh, Antetokounmpo come to the bay? Well, before we get to that, so are you upset that we're retiring um, Iggy's number two? No, because it's coming on the back of the 35 announcement. If if nobody's number, like let's say that uh, they out of nowhere came out and announced that Iggy was, uh, the number nine was going to go into the rafters right now, then I would be a little bit annoyed by it. I like the idea of that number nine being retired, but I'd like to wait until Iggy's career is over, mm -hmm. right? Doing it now, it, it still triggers that exact feel I was just talking about. It's everybody already tearfully looking back at the time when we are champions. I don't want to do that yet. Right. I'd like to look forward towards Chase Center. But, I mean, it, it, we have to look back at it. We look back at, was that the greatest team to take an NBA floor? And it's, you know, you can argue about it. You can mm -hmm. debate about it. And they were part of it. I think an interesting question is, does Sean Livingston get his number retired? Because right. he was kind of that fringe player of that like Iggy, Clay, Steph, KD, Draymond will all get their jerseys retired. Will Livingston and I think that's kind of the ultimate to say this group was some of the best to ever do it and I think that's why they did it with KD he did it first and they were planning to do it for those five to six no matter what if they do it with Sean and you know how much I love him they're going to start adding decimal points to the numbers <laughs> we're not going to have enough jerseys to play in Golden State people are like Steph's going to have to be like 30-A or something to make sure that it's covered uh, the Yanni's thing do you actually think Do I mean and we've got a lot of off seasons a lot of times to talk about it certainly it's not going to happen for the 2019 season but jokes aside do you believe the Golden State Warriors have a shot at landing him as a free agent I do I think we're one of the premier run franchises in the NBA so we have a shot just for that reason I would never take anything away from Myers and Lacob for going after it I'd feel more comfortable if Jerry West were still involved but that said we will make an attractive offer. I just don't know what kind of person Giannis is. Like, will he really want to stay in a small market like Milwaukee? He doesn't really care. Or will, you know, the appeal of going to something a little bit bigger like the Bay Area matter? Does he want to play for a real city? Do you hear that, Giannis? <laughs> Chess, not checkers. Boom. Chess, not checkers. I said it twice. You taught me that. I picked it up. With that in mind, boys, let's turn to our first guest, Mr. Brian Owinger, who is a former scout in the NBA and is going to help us figure out uh, just how these new additions to the Warriors are going to help the team. Let's give them a call. It is my pleasure to announce that rejoining us in the huddle, a former member of the Washington Wizards, Atlanta Hawks, and Toronto Raptors staff, and a man with seven years of experience of working in the NBA as a video coordinator and advanced scout, amongst other titles, Mr. Brian O'Ringer. What's going on, Brian? How are you guys? Thanks for having me. 
I'm a little embarrassed if I'm going to be honest. Let the record reflect. We just went through like 10 minutes of trying to figure out how to make an accurate phone call. We finally have it worked out now. But just in case Brian thought we were professional before those attempts, I think he knows now that we're not that professional. And Maxime, I'm looking at you on this, man. You screwed us a little bit here. Listen, listen. This is your place of business, so it's your internet connection. I'm pretty sure when I asked you, I didn't say master of all things, uh, Max, master of all things sound, Maxime, who's in my place of business. I said only... You're the master of all things sound. But Brian, we didn't drag you in to air out our dirty laundry. Instead, we need your expertise. Um, Warrior fans are in kind of a weird place, man. After three years of nothing but consistency and success, we now at least have a lack of consistency, hopefully not a lack of success. But there's a whole bunch of uh, new people on the roster, and we need your opinion on them. But before I ask you something specific, let me get something just off my chest, man. Um, so I think I, like a lot of NBA fans, have kind of romanticized the idea of working in the NBA. You know, like it just sounds like this dream job, and I'd love to do it. And let me start by asking you this What's the worst part? about being a scout? I mean, because I would imagine there's some like ugly things in this job, some pains in the asses, and I want, hopefully you can make me feel less jealous about your past. So fire away, man. What was the worst thing you had, you had to go through as a scout? Uh, the, the schedule's pretty relentless. I mean, you know, the, the advanced scouts, the guys that do it uh, full-time, they pretty much will go to sometimes uh, 29 NBA games a month in 29 different cities. Um, so if you could just imagine that schedule, I mean, it's, it's pretty relentless. And, you know, if you're on the team side, uh, like I was and, and traveling with the team, you know, you're spending sometimes, uh, 150 or so days on the road. You know, you're, uh, you're working pretty much every day from, from 7 a.m. to midnight. And it's, uh, you know, if you, if you checked out the hourly, uh, pay rate with, with those kind of hours, it's probably, well below minimum wage, um, you know, with all the time you put into it. But yeah, you know, some some great perks and, and great moments. But it's uh, definitely a lot of work. You're probably not uh, jealous of that part. No, and I don't want to hear about the great perks or moments. I I much prefer not feeling jealous. Uh, let me also ask you this, man. I I've never had the benefit of looking at an NBA scouting report. I would really like to. I just like the concept of it. But my question to you is this: I, We know that obviously they're going to talk about players' tendencies and offenses you have to look for and pick and roll actions, that kind of stuff. My question is, is there random information on there that we would never expect? You know, stuff like make sure the players don't go to this club when they're in Toronto or, I mean, anything like that. Is is there a piece of information that you can share with us that uh, an NBA fan wouldn't necessarily know is on there? I don't think anything that obscure. I mean, you know, there's some pretty specific uh, tendency stuff. You know, I remember... In the playoffs in particular, you know, you start to really, really dive into, you know, which way a guy likes to go or, or even how he likes to, to come and get his shots. I remember, you know, I think it was like J.J. Redick, Kyle Korver, for some reason, you know, they're shooters who really, really like to start uh, in the left corner and kind of come off so that their left shoulder is their inside shoulder. And if you, you know, somehow force them to come off the right side and start in the right corner, they were far less effective. So, you know, some some strange little uh, tidbits like that, I think, would, would make their way onto the scouting report a lot. I don't know about usually not much uh, off-the-court stuff or, or getting in a guy's head, but, uh, yeah, generally just a lot of uh, random player tendencies. Is there any mental stuff, anything you can bring up to get into a player's head or, you know, this player tends to get angry fast? I mean, without giving us names, do they do they venture into that arena at all? 
Yeah, I mean, you could you could say something, you know, for guys that had a tendency to be hotheads or get a lot of texts. I mean, you know, it would maybe put a, a little note about, uh, you know, has a tendency to blow up and, and get technicals and put his team in trouble and things like that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, generally speaking, I think you want guys to, to respect their opponent and not think lightly of anybody or think that it's going to be easy by playing any mind games or anything like that. So generally it was pretty pretty straight-up hardcore basketball. There's nothing in the Lakers report to make sure to call LeBron a bitch five times or something like that. You don't think that's made it? That's in Draymond's report. Draymond has that in his report about everybody. Everybody. <laughs> exactly right. Uh, let's jump into specifics, man. So, obviously, the biggest offseason move for the Warriors was the loss of KD, but the addition of D'Angelo. And I've got a, a vague sense of D'Angelo Russell. I remember watching his highlights last year. I remember watching his ascension, at least a little bit of it, as a 23-year-old All-Star. But if I'm being honest with you, I haven't watched a full game of his, certainly um, not with any kind of critical thinking. So let me start here. What's his best asset as a player? Why is he going to help out the Warriors? Uh, he's a big-time pick-and-roll player. Um, you know, I think he... He reads the floor really well out of the spread pick and roll. And, you know, in addition, he has one of those really rare uh, skill sets that, you know, only a few guys like Steph, like Lillard, uh, you know, Kemba, guys like that have in terms of being able to hit, you know, really deep threes off the dribble as well as off the catch. So, you know, I think he's, uh, he's a really good decision maker. He's a, he's a really good uh, pick and roll passer. And, you know, you look at uh, both their numbers around the age of 23. I think his numbers compare, you know, pretty favorably to a guy like James Harden, even at that age. So, obviously, Harden took a, a massive leap after, and you know, we'll, it'll be determined if D'Angelo is going to do the same thing. But I, I think he's on track to to be an All Star pretty much the rest of his career. I think he's a, a really, really good young player. Do you view his upside as high as James Harden? Maybe not that high, but I, I think uh, you know, like I said, I think he's a guy who projects to be a, a pretty consistent All Star. You know, I think he's a you know, one of the top five or so uh, pick and roll passers in the league. I think he's he's got really really good floor vision. I think he, uh, you know, can make those lob passes really well. Can make those skips to the corner really well. Um, you know, I think he he kind of instantly becomes a, a pick and roll player that you guys uh, you know haven't really had. I, obviously, Steph is an elite shooter, elite basketball player overall. But you know, his game's not as much of the uh, the pick and roll at least you know in the last couple seasons. Uh, he'll run the play with Draymond some, but I. I think D'Angelo is going to be the primary handler in a lot of the stuff with Willie Cauley-Stein, and obviously Steph can do it too, but I think D'Angelo's size lets him you know, really see over the defense as well and, and find, like I said, find the role, find the corner shooters, um, You know, whereas Steph sometimes can only see the, the closest pass. So I think he's got a really, really unique skill set and, and really great floor vision, floor vision for sure. You tweeted out recently your top ten NBA coaches, and it you know it's not a super popular thing to say, but one of the people you included with Coach Kerr, and I agree with it. But like I said, that's not the the general mentality when it comes to Steve. So, kind of a two-headed question on that. One, what is it about Kerr's coaching that impresses you? And two, do you foresee Kerr changing the Warriors' offense to take advantage of D'Angelo's skill set? Yeah, as far as the first part, I mean, I, you know, the biggest thing I think with him is just the, the culture and, and how, you know, the dynasty that he's formed there. I, I think, obviously, there's always a, a chicken or the egg type component. And obviously, you know, the big three played a huge role in that and, and getting KD played a huge role in that but uh, at the same time you know the initial big three was was virtually the roster that uh, Mark Jackson had and you know they didn't make much noise that way I, I think to go from that to 
you know, a team that won as many championships as they did, won 73 games, I think was a testament to, you know, to him really getting them to play uh, relentlessly hard every single night. And I think ultimately that's the most important thing in NBA coaching is, is getting guys to buy in and, and play hard. And, uh, you know, the Warriors in particular, I think, have a huge X on their back pretty much every night and, and get everybody's best effort. And I think, you know, regardless, they've still been able to have you know, great defense every season and offense that, uh, you know, is just nonstop motion, nonstop movement, uh, beautiful passing, um, you know, and as far as does it change? I mean, I, you know, I think every coach evolves a little bit. And, and obviously when you lose a player like KB and get somebody like D'Angelo, it's going to have to change uh, a little bit by necessity. So, yeah, I mean, I think you'll see more of uh, the spread pick and roll type sets, especially with a, a big rolling five and, in Cauley Stein, and uh, you know, I, I think they're going to have to find find some interesting ways to uh, to keep the defense afloat. Um, you know, losing Iguodala and a few of the defenders that they did, I, I think he's going to have to demand a lot out of out of Clay, out of uh, D'Angelo defensively, and you know, get that same buy-in for them to to remain one of the top you know two or three teams in the league. Is that D'Angelo's weakness, the defense? I, mean, I almost didn't ask what his biggest weakness is because we're all kind of assuming that. But fair to say that's his the shortcoming in his game? Yeah, I, th- I think, you know, the defense leaves a little bit to, to, to be desired. And then I think on top of it, you know, he needs to continue to develop uh, into a guy who can who can also score from the mid-range, who can be a three-level player. You know, I think he has the threes and the, and the rim down pretty well. But you know, when he's able to to create his own shot, you know, from the elbows a little bit, to pull up and hit those shots as well, um, you know, I think that's when he becomes really deadly. But, yeah, I'd say the defense is, you know, especially having to guard a lot of the bigger twos or, or the better ball-handling ones this season, I think he'll really have to make a, a leap on that end. Forgive me for this, Brian, but I want to get their take on this quick. How are you boys viewing D'Angelo? I mean, are you viewing him as a concrete piece of this dynasty going forward right and that we just have them and that all this is going to work out or are you viewing them as a trade ship the way that most of the media is i'm viewing him as a wait and see because I don't, I don't know how he's going to fit i mean bob myers just came out today and said we didn't trade for him to flip him we didn't sign him with the intention of just trading and we've even seen him play in our uniform yet and, and a lot of people have us already trading him um that's not how we're, we're viewing it. Let's just see what we have. Let's see what he is. Let's see how he fits. So, you know, they they brought him in to stay. Um, I'm just not sure of the fit. Like, once Clay comes back healthy, how does a lineup with Steph, Clay, and D'Angelo stack up defensively? I mean, do you put Clay as a three and then, right. you know, like he's guarding guys a little bit bigger than him? He could probably do it, but um, I don't know if the fit is right, but I think. You know, to Brian's point, D'Angelo is so good at pick and rolls, and we have to see how Willie Cauley-Stein adapts. But um, that could be a, a good break for us. And when Steph and Clay need to rest, that we can just go to that type of offense and still stay in games or maintain a lead. Address that for us, Brian. So let's let's fast forward the clock. Let's pretend it's going to be early. Let's say January, Clay comes back, right? Or it's February, whenever it is, and he is still Clay Thompson. Who's the starting five? If you're coaching this team, you're Kerr. What would you roll out there? Uh, you know, I, I would hope you could go with kind of like you said, uh, Steph, D'Angelo, Clay, uh, with Draymond and Cauley Stein, I think would would, would be, you know, a, a really nice group. And uh, I think that would allow them, like I said, to, you know, as much success as they've had with kind of Draymond playing a small five. I, I think, you know, you add a real, a real lob threat in Cauley Stein, a guy who just plays above the rim. I, I think that's going to open up 
you know, this, the spread pick and roll game a ton for them. Um, you know, I think Pauly Stein and Draymond have the potential, obviously, to to defend the rim really well, to, to switch pick and rolls really well, you know, play the same type of scheme that they have. And then, yeah, like you guys said, you know, it will require uh, Clay to defend a lot of threes. It'll require D'Angelo to, you know, defend some, some bigger guards that uh, he, he doesn't usually guard maybe as a point guard. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I would think on paper that's probably the best five. And if, if Colley Stein gets off to a, a good start, I, I would think they hope that, uh, you know, that can kind of be the vision for the team going forward. So, so what is D'Angelo's ceiling on defense? And, like, what's one thing that he could do this offseason to, you know, most improve his game on the defensive end? Well, you know, it's funny. I think defense is pretty, uh, it's pretty simple. You know, we have a tendency to, you know, to think it's about some massive thing you could do to improve or, or some stretch or exercises or whatever. But for the most part, it's about – about heart and buy-in you know uh, I, I was around a, a bunch of coaches in dc and you know scott brooks was probably the biggest proponent of just telling guys that the defense is about it's about playing hard you know it's about being in the right spot it's about uh you know competing for your teammates flying around the floor and, and just having a willingness uh to do that so I, I think he has every physical tool and you know the same way steph is a is a pretty undersized guy but has made himself into you know, very respect, respectable defender. I'm sure, you know, D'Angelo will do all the right things in the weight room and with the training staff. But, you know, ultimately it's going to be out about just when he steps on the floor, you know, how bad does he want to compete? How bad does he want to be a stopper and, and step up and, you know, uh, change that, that rep against him as a poor defender? And, uh, you know, I, I think it's on him to do it. But uh, the Warriors will definitely put him in good places to be successful. So is your perception, the other side of that coin, is that to date, D'Angelo Russell just hasn't given a shit about defense? That literally he's not expending the effort on that side of the ball, which is why he's not as good on it? You know, he's he's a young player. You know, when you're, you're 23, 22, 23 years old, I think sometimes you just you just don't realize, uh, you know, a, a motor in the NBA, and if you want to be a, a top-level, you know, two-way player like Kawhi, and even Harden, it took obviously a long time for – for him to learn that, and I know some people still even jab him about the defense today. You know, uh, when you're carrying a huge load uh, offensively, it, it takes takes a lot out of you. And I think he really, you know, he had to do a ton of that for Brooklyn last season. But uh, yeah, I mean, I don't I don't think he's anemic or anything defensively. He's, I don't watch him and think, my God, what a terrible defender. I think just generally, you know, you just kind of notice him mostly on offense and on defense. It's more. You know, it's just kind of out there, um, you know, and the Warriors culture and, and especially what they're going to need uh, while Clay is gone is, is going to require him to, to really step up and, and be a great two-way player as well. So, you know, it's just going to be a little difference uh, for him to make the leap from, you know, solid, okay defender to a guy that has to be really, really good on that end almost every night. And I think um, Ron Adams staying is going to help with that. I mean, you know, he's, you know, a, a guru when it comes to defense and – you know, you put him in that system and let Ron kind of teach him some differences. Not that Kenny Atkinson isn't a great coach, but I think it's just a little different when he comes into that system. And the same way you saw KD take a leap, he was always a good defender. But when he was with us, 
they were talking about, oh, he's playing like defensive player of the year type of well, games. The Lakers reached out to Adams for a reason. Right. I mean, he's obviously right. making a difference. And the other upside on that is that Adams' knowledge of the game isn't limited to just defense. He knows how each of the Warriors like to play defense. So yeah. if we've got to integrate D'Angelo into this team, having a genius who happens to know these guys as well as he does can do nothing but help us. Um, but let me ask you this, Brian. So one of the interesting things, man, and we kind of started with it, is that Warrior fans now have to come to a new set of expectations for the team. And one of the things we have not had to do is go through growing pains, watching players learn how to play with one another. So let me start here. How long should Warrior fans wait before we judge this new set of players, right? How long do you think these guys will need to kind of, you know, gel it in and be worthy of our uh, critique? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think when you still have, obviously, the, the foundational pieces in, in Steph and Draymond who, you know, kind of have always set the tone and, and been the heart and soul of that team, I, I think it won't take too long. You know, I think maybe you, you give it a month or so of, of regular season play where you'll have some hiccups and have some some really bad nights, you know, where guys are still just kind of learning each other and, and learning, you know, how to deal with Draymond, uh, you know, uh, mother effing you every other play, <laughs> just, you know, putting up with him. It's motivational, him. definitely. You know, I was going to drop a couple oh, MFers sure. for you during this podcast, but I felt like you're doing great, so you didn't need it. <laughs> I, I love it. I mean, I would, you know, I, I think he's uh, the best teammate in, in the in the league to play with, you know, a guy that holds guys accountable like that and, and Steph, you know, doing it more by example. But yeah, I mean, I think they, they have the leadership part down already. And, you know, like I said, it'll, it'll take some time for Coley Stein. I think he, you know, he more than D'Angelo Russell is, is more the case of uh, unrealized potential so far. You know, the fact that you could get him on a minimum deal, you know, as a, after being a lottery pick and a guy with a tremendous amount of upside kind of just speaks to, you know, his career to this point has been uh, mostly a failure, you know, and I'm talking about him potentially as your as your starting center next year. You know, that's a, a huge jump for him, and it's a huge opportunity, um, and I hope he realizes that and, you know, comes in in, in the best shape of his life and determined to, to prove why he, why he maybe deserves a big contract, you know, after this season. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think maybe give it a, a couple weeks, maybe a month at most, but by then I would expect, you know, most of the growing pains to be gone and, and then figure it out. Willie Cauley-Stein, give me just a brief precursor on him. Who is this guy? How does he help the Warriors? What should we be expecting? Yeah, I mean, I think he's a, he's a freakishly athletic, uh, you know, seven-footer. Who's, he's, a, he's a lob guy. He's an above-the-rim player. He's a, he's a shot blocker. He can, you know, impact some things at the rim. Um, you know, and I think uh, he, he has good touch. I think he uh, is a pretty skilled finisher. You know, he's good with both hands, but... Yeah, I mean, to this point, I think the knock on him is just kind of uh, the motor and the consistency and, and how bad uh, does he want to do it every single night. And, shoot, I actually just forgot until I looked myself that he was the, the sixth overall pick, right. too. You know, it's it's pretty unusual to go from the, the sixth pick to a, a minimum deal as your second <laughs> contract. But, yeah, I mean, you know, how much of it was, uh, was a culture that was kind of messed up in Sacramento? How much of it was him? You know, I think we there's a lot to be determined, but uh, I Give, think for sure he, he's unbelievably talented and, and has has everything you look for in one of those kind of Gobert, Capella-type uh, role men. You know, now it's just about uh, him maximizing that ability. I was going to say, give me a player comparison, and I love that one. Um, I'm going to shift us into uh, just quick-fire questions, all right? I'm going to give you a question. Just give me the first name or answer that uh, crops into your head. Best scorer in the league. 
James Harden. Are the Warriors a playoff team next year? Yes. Who's the dirtiest player in the league? Uh, Kelly Olynyk. Current title favorite? Clippers. That one hurts my feelings. I'm going to ask you that again. I want you to lie to me and tell me Warriors. Uh, best talker in the league? Uh, Got to be Draymond. Best defender? That's a good one. Uh, go either Kawhi or Draymond, probably. Why will the Harden-Westbrook pairing not work? Uh, if it doesn't work, it'd be, you know, uh, again, just an inability in the playoffs to, to get over the hump. But I think it has a really good chance to work. I think it's a trade they, they needed to make still. And, they, uh, you know, I think uh, Westbrook's a huge upgrade over Paul at, at this age, at least. I think it was a no-brainer for them to do it. Why? Explain that for me. Why no-brainer? Because there's been a lot. I mean, I'll, I'll give you my perspective. What I thought that it really underlined is that there must have been funk between Harden and Paul. That this team has been on the precipice of a finals. The team that has been beating them just disappeared. KD left. They now have what seems to be a much easier path, and it's not the time to reshuffle, but they reshuffled. And my assumption, that's all it was, is that it showed that the smoke was actually fire, that there was some drama there. Am I misreading that? You know, there might have been uh, some of that to an extent. I, I think, you know, their relationship definitely wasn't perfect. But, you know, I think I have tremendous respect for Chris Paul. I think he's a Hall of Famer. But at the same time, you know, he's 34 and I think kind of on his last legs, you know, as an NBA player and I think showed showed serious signs of slowing down last season. He's only been able to play like 60 games the last few seasons. You know, I, I think Russ, uh, you know, just hitting 30 I think is still uh, – Still has a ton of his athleticism left. I think, you know, the triple doubles, obviously it's kind of become a novelty at this point, and people, you know, accuse him more of, like, the stat padding type stuff. But, you know, there's no way you can put up a, a triple double for 82 games without being a, an absolute freak. And right. I, I think most coaches, you know, still view him as having the best motor in the league and just being a, a relentless competitor, you know, a great rebounder. I think he'll, he'll shore up their rebounding. I think he'll let them – play faster, play in transition. I think we'll get to the rim. I think playing in kind of their spread, the Antoni system, I think, you know, the floor is going to be so spaced that he's going to, you know, be able to get to the rim a ton more than he has been in Oklahoma City. So I think, you know, there's a lot of reasons it can work, and obviously there's some risk to it, but I, I think going from a 34-year-old Paul to a 30-year-old Russ is something they had to do. And he, he averaged a triple-double for three seasons in a row. Like, I just feel like that part is always lost on people. They just take it for granted. Like, that's absurd. We were talking about, oh, nobody will ever do it again. Oscar was the only one to ever do it. Russ did it one time, and they were like, oh, that's amazing. Give him the MVP for it. He does it two more times in a row, and it's just kind of, you know, like taken for granted. So it's it'll be interesting. And last year he had an MVP candidate on his roster with him, and he still did it. So I mean, His skill set there's no question about, right? But that's what makes basketball great. It's like music. If I took the, the five best musicians on earth and then put them on a stage, the sound they created wouldn't necessarily be good music. Yeah. You know, just because the individual skill sets are there doesn't mean that they'll, that they'll work with one another. Right. It doesn't mean that they won't either, right? right but right, right. it's not a guarantee. And Brian, I should give you a heads up. We are going to use Maxime's voice, and we're going to take out that you said the Clippers are the title favorites we're going to say the Warriors there and then we're going to have Maxime for you say oh Harden Westbrook 
terrible, terrible idea. <laughs> so, I mean, I apologize in advance, man. It is what it is. But, uh, yeah, I figured I'd at least give you that heads up. Brian, you were excellent. Uh, certainly true this week. Always true. I am positive that there are people out there who would like more uh, O-Ringer in their life. If I'm right about that, where should they turn? Where can we can find your work? Yeah, just uh, Scout with Brian on Twitter. Uh, Brian's with a Y. Uh, same thing, scoutwithbrian.com. And on that Twitter, on that website is where you can find kind of all my all my YouTubes to date. The, uh, the video I did on the Steph and Draymond pick and roll that got 125,000 or something views. I'm sure Warriors fans uh, would enjoy. So, yeah, all that good stuff's at the Scout with Brian. Yeah, phenomenal. Well, we appreciate it, man. Hopefully we'll talk to you soon. Appreciate you guys having me. Thank you right, again. Thanks, Brian. Take it easy, Brian. Love having Brian on. Hopefully he's listening so I can now give him a little bit of shit. You didn't have to tell us there's 125,000 downloads, Brian. I mean, I'm sure we could have seen that on the counter, but with that in tow, the information was phenomenal, and uh, I am happy to announce he is not our only guest today. We have Sarah Todd rejoining us all the way from Philadelphia, and she's going to run us through some over-under boys, so uh, let's get her on the phone. Normally, we can only convince one person to join us today. I don't know how the hell we've done it, but we, in fact, had two guests. And this time, I cannot tell you guys how fired up I am to announce that rejoining us, the former Golden State beat writer, sports director, and editor for sfbay.ca, where she covered all things Warriors for more than three years, the current 76ers beat writer and expert for the Philadelphia Inquirer and a reporter who is willing to take notes on a baby's forehead if it's level enough, Miss Sarah Todd. What's going on, Sarah? I love my introduction more and more every time. Yeah, well, I was going to include and a person who Marcus very creepily stalks on Twitter, but I couldn't come up with the terms of it. And you guys already kind of argued about that before we hit record, so I, I stayed away from it. Uh, it's good to be back. I'm at literally right now packing my bags because I'm flying out to California for a, an extended vacation for the off season. I'm spending the entire off season in California, so I'm very excited. I'm already looking forward to not receiving any texts or calls to go grab a drink from you. <laughs> that will be fantastic. Hooray. <laughs> Yeah, TBD. <laughs> Fair enough, and fuck yourself, and let's move to the NBA. Uh, what we've been doing, Sarah, is trying to figure out this new NBA landscape. You know, we, we enter into the finals kind of pompously assuming that injuries didn't matter and we'd walk away with a title, and now our roster has been turned upside down and the NBA free agency has been unbelievable. So we need somebody who does this stuff for a living to help make sense of it. So what I have is a series of questions, over-unders, various predictions questions. Um, before we jump into them, a quick reminder, our master of stat, Matthew Siegel, is out there somewhere keeping track. So if we get them wrong, you will be held accountable. Know that I will call you publicly and tell everybody that you got these wrong. Um, but before I ask you one that is objectively right or wrong, let me start here. The team you're covering, Philly, is one of the teams that has gone through, I mean, upheaval is too large of a word, but some pretty major additions and subtractions. Uh, Jimmy Butler walks, as does J.J. Redick, but you guys add Al Horford and you cement Tobias Harris. And from what I can tell, that's a really good team. It's, it's one of those teams that has done a zag when everyone else is zigging, right? Everyone else is focusing on being small and being able to interchange. Philly now has a defense-oriented big squad. So let me ask you, Sarah, 
do you and do they consider themselves to be title favorites? Not contenders, but are they viewing this as a championship run year? Um, I think something we'll probably end up talking about soon is the Kawhi deal. And I think when that happens, um, it's kind of impossible for any team other than probably the Clippers to look at themselves as title favorites because that's going to be a monster to overcome. I think that they believe that they will be title contenders. I think they believe they are favorites to win the East. Uh, but a title favorite is extreme. I know that there's a couple of guys on the team that think they deserve to win a championship and they've got the team to do it. But I, along with many other pundits, analysts, reporters, fans, have a lot of questions about this Philadelphia team, even though they look pretty good on paper. This question is just as important. It actually does have an objectively right or wrong answer. Is it right for me still to hate the city of Toronto weeks after the finals are over? <laughs> Is it okay for you to? Yeah, me personally. Yeah, I mean, like, hate basically everybody there. Yeah, sure. I mean, like, I don't know how to put a button on your hate, and so I just assume that you're going to hate anyone that goes against you mildly. And so, sure, Bram, you can hate whoever you want. I hate I people who root spend, for me occasionally. I so, yes, a lot of time. <laughs> I spent a lot of time in the city of Toronto this during the playoffs, and. It is one of my favorite cities. So, and I'm not afraid to admit it, even to Warriors fans, it's a great city. I loved every second I spent there. And now I hate you. Congratulations. <laughs> Getting back to a Put real Put a button question. on that. <laughs> Two-part question. The first part, I think, um, will be an easy one, but let's make sure. Do, do we all agree that we view the Western Conference as by far the best conference? Oh, yeah. MT? Yes, but I, I like the additions for Philly. I mean, yes, you lose Jimmy and, and JJ, but I think Josh Richardson is a sleeper pickup yeah. for them. And great defensive player. And Al Horford was, was always the, you know, the one nemesis for Embiid. So I just, I, I like them better than Milwaukee. And I, I feel like they're the dark horse this year that will come out and surprise the Clippers or Lakers or whoever or Houston, whoever makes it from the West. I'm really happy that we got bogged down on the first part of a two part <laughs> question. I thought that was just going to be a slam dunk. Yes, but uh, we'll we'll pick up what you said. But what I was going to ask you, Sarah, I thought, and apparently it's not even true in my own podcast room, but I thought there was this kind of straightforward analysis of the West Conference is the best conference. Is that shared in the East Conference? You know, I mean, like it's not like the the teams sit around and talk about it, but just your general perception in the Eastern Conference. Would if they took truth serum or something, would they agree that the West is a better conference? Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of players that will even talk about it pretty openly that they know that the West is a lot heavier and a lot heavy hitting as far as players and stars go than the East is. And that, that's not a secret. It's not something that uh, people, you know, really delude themselves about. Even last season, there was kind of this thought like, oh, the East looks better, but it was all top-heavy after you got out of kind of like the first four, maybe five seeds. It wasn't really much to talk of. I mean, after next season, because we've got another, and then the one after that, so 2020-2021 free agency, there's potential for it to be different especially with Durant coming back from injury and being with Brooklyn but I it's clear that the West is heavy and that they're a better conference yeah I think if you take the West whoever qualifies for the playoffs this year I think you take the eight nine and ten seeds and I think they would be five six seven four five six mm -hmm. in the East 
Right. Like right. Just, so, so, yeah. so put it another way, when the concept of reseeding the playoffs 1-16 to 16 is presented in the media as a good thing to do, why is it shot down is not going to happen? Because of the owners in the East voting against it. That's, sure. that's the perfect sure. reason right there. Well, and, and to couple what I think you're saying, Marcus, is that even though the back-end non-playoff teams in the West would make the Eastern Conference playoffs, the top-end teams in the East, for example, Philly, may be in the mix at the top end of the Western Conference. So right. that the best of the best are still up at the cream of the crop, but as you filter down, the teams aren't necessarily as good. Um, okay, let's yeah. get... Oh, go ahead. I think that also there's something to be said about not just TV ratings, but like the power of the money in the fans' hand. Because even if you took like eight, nine, ten from the West and put those teams in the playoffs in the East, as far as ratings go, that's not. I mean, those teams don't bring the same amount of interest. Oh, sure. So everybody still wants to see the top teams play, even when you have you know like the the least interesting first round playoff series happening those get the least amount of ratings because like everyone is waiting for it to just filter to the top so if you take away all the eastern conference teams you would lose so many ratings coming from the east coast and especially when you have you know those late games you need the early ones to be coming from the east coast to boost those ratings and so i think you're never going to get enough people to be on board especially owners to make something like that happen because there's just too many too much money that flows in and out from it i mean bottom line this is a capitalistic enterprise designed to make money business yeah right so i mean if they have ideas that are going to make it less money chances are those ideas are not going to be immediately accepted it just is what it is there's an idea to make more money and it's push the the games up an hour earlier and say we don't care about pacific coast time you know like East Coast is fifty percent of sure. our viewership, or the play-in tournament, so, right? Yeah. Or the half, or the the mid-season tournament. They're, yeah. they're coming up with all these reasons why it would only increase revenue. Let's get to real guesses, gentlemen. All right, and lady, I should have said right from the jump. But Sarah, here's our first question. I put the over under at point five. The question is, how many years will D'Angelo Russell be a Warrior? Why don't you start us off, Sarah? Over or under point five. I go with the over. I really do expect him to spend the entirety of next season with the team, mostly just for insurance, for going through Clay's injury and having someone to be in that spot. I don't know that I would expect it to be any. If you put the over under at one, I might have taken the under because I kind of don't think that he'll be after. Hmm. He'll be there after one year. Yeah, I agree. I think he's there for one season. So if you put it at one, I would say push. Like, I think. You keep him for the whole season, let Clay come back at a more deliberate pace, and then you reevaluate what's available in the off season. But the bigger off season isn't until the year after anyway. So I could see maybe two years even. I'm going to be aggressively optimistic. I'll put it at 1.0 just to address your guys' concerns. I'll still take the over. Um, one, I think you guys are right. I, they, it, they're not going to get enough of a look at this team, even if Clay comes back in February, to have a definitive idea of can this really work? And the Warriors aren't going to rush any decisions, right? But the other side to this, and I, this just may be being stupid, but I, I, it's never been reported. It will never be reported. But what I have assumed is that before D'Angelo signed up for the sign and trade, before he agreed to it, there must have been some conversation, at least back channels between he and the Warriors. Because otherwise, why the hell would he give up his flexibility? And it's my impression that they told him either we'll get you 
to your preferred destination, being Minnesota, or we're going to work with you. You're part of our long-term plans. And what we've heard recently from Myers is we have no intention of trading you. And if I'm right even a little bit, that shows us which of the two they're hedging towards. Maxime, where do you land? Yeah, I, I take the over, too. I, I think that the Warriors are really going to want to try to make it work. I think there's all sorts of really great opportunities, and I think he's a 23-year-old lottery pick, literally pick second. That's a tremendous amount of upside that still has yet to be realized. I'm going to give you the other side of the coin. This is for all three of you. All right. So let's assume the Warriors suddenly decide they have to trade them. We obviously don't think that's going to happen. That's not our prediction. But let's assume just for shits and giggles that uh, that's what's up. I'm going to give you guys names. You tell me yes or no on a trade. Sarah, you start us off. The first name for you is Andrew Wiggins. No. Yeah. I'll go second. No. <laughs> Gentlemen, what do you got? <laughs> yeah, no. no. <laughs> Second name, totally impossible, but uh, same team, Carl Anthony Towns. Yes. Yes. Sarah? Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. An, that's an easy one. Here's the one really I wanted your opinion on. Kevin Love. No. And why? I think that... If you're looking at the Warriors, I think that you, the things that are valuable about Kevin Love, okay, are he's a big guy who can space the floor, um, but we haven't really seen much of him do the things that are valuable since probably Cleveland's championship or even before that. And I think that if you're looking at Draymond, who I'm sure will be around for a while, you don't want to like bring another guy that's going to cause problems there and not that Kevin Love causes problems but if you're looking at trading somebody like D'Angelo there's also age involved and injury possibilities and D'Angelo is in a position where he's coming off the best year of his career he's very young I would have voted for him for most improved player had I had a vote and he can increase his value in a short time before the trade deadline with the Warriors if he continues on that trajectory that he was on last season. And so I would say no, purely based on the fact that he's more valuable than Kevin Love. I love that answer, but if I'm being honest with you, it's not the one that I was envisioning. I kind of saw me saying that. There's going to be a slow pause, and then you're going to be like, whoa, great idea. Like, I haven't heard anybody say that, and you just blew my mind with that suggestion. So it's weird that you didn't say that, and maybe you can work that in on the next question. Uh, Next over-under. How many times did Kevin Durant change his mind before announcing Brooklyn? I put the number at 29.7. I take the over. I take the way. I feel like he was like, Nets, no. Warriors, no. Nets, no. Uh, Knicks, no. Uh, Big three, no. Like, it could have gone a million different ways. You guys, do you think he knew for sure it was Brooklyn, or did this thing ping pong back and forth? I think he, I take the under. I think he chose, and then. 26 one time and then told everybody get away from me so I don't change my mind you mean like when he told Steph don't even come to my house I can't even see you because I will probably change my mind exactly when they said oh Sean Marks how did that recruiting go and he's like I didn't even know that (laughs) he had chosen us like he didn't he chose Brooklyn without even taking a meeting with them like your GM finds out that he's coming to your team on social media like that just screams to me that he was just like, Brooklyn, and don't talk to me. I'm going offline. <laughs> Bye. I'm going into my sound deprivation chamber until the beginning of next season. You know? I mean, they didn't even tell him what his role, like, of course, he's Kevin Durant, and he reminds you of that. But the fact that he didn't even speak to the team that he was going there is just like, 
is mind blowing to me. Sarah, over or under? Yeah, I'd take way under. I think he made his decision <laughs> to leave a long time ago, and then it was just about. I don't. I don't know that he changed his mind. I think he might have had a couple of suitors that he was thinking about, but uh, I think as soon as Kyrie was on board, that it was over. Yeah, that's why I take the under two. I think he would have gone to China if that's where Kyrie said he was going. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was going to be upset that you didn't join into shit. And then you did, so it all worked out. You know what I mean? It was a fantastic ending. Uh, a little bit more serious of a question, although it has kind of a depressing undertone. I put the number at .5, lady and gentlemen. The question is, how many titles will the Warriors win going forward with Steph Curry on their roster? Sarah, start us off. Oh, boy. Uh, I'll take the over. I, I can't imagine that they're not going to win one more. And, I mean, yes, anything can happen, but I can't see it that they would that this is going to be the end for it. So I'm hopeful for you guys. I'll take it. Thank I'll, you. I'll take the over, too. <laughs> I don't know if I'm being honest or optimistic. I really don't. I mean, I'd like to tell you that Joe Lacob's um, combination of incredible competition and unbelievable resources means that they will always be in the championship conversation. But that combination is true for probably 70% of NBA owners, and you always need a sprinkling of magic, right? The Warriors got it. They got it in spades. So if I was being pessimistic, I'd be worried that we've used it all up. But as I've already announced, that's not the direction I'm going. I'm going over. Boys? That's that's such a good take um, on the Lake Up thing. I, I immediately flashed to Sarver, who's the owner of the Suns, um, and he's known for having a propensity to thinking that he has it all figured out, and it's just absolutely not about him. And you start to, you know, I saw a comp today um, that like one of the things, oh, it was uh, Jason Concepcion from The Ringer was saying that like, oh, you know, the, Kevin Durant went to the medical staff during the finals and said, should I play or not? And medical staff was like, green light, right? And then he cuts to like, oh, right, they, Chelsea Lane wouldn't have maybe said the same thing, but like, Lacob wasn't willing to pay her, and Lacob wasn't willing to pay Jerry West. And you start to look at like, those are the types of decisions that indicate hmm. that Lacob thinks he's capable of being the big dog, yep. and really it was more some of these other pieces that were actually really, really valuable. Um, and if you're not willing to pony up for the front office, uh, that you know, that's me being pessimistic. I still think there's a one because let's face it, we still have three all stars. Um, in some senses, we're adding a fourth here potentially. You know, it's it's a pretty exciting time, I think. So I'll take the over, anyways. I'll take the over, but only if we re-sign Draymond because it doesn't happen this year. And then you know, like if he leaves the team, then you know he's he's the heartbeat of the team and i don't i don't know how well we rebound from that if he stays and we you know give him a a max contract whatever um i think we're right in contention i think steph clay and draymond are just you know like they showed it in the portland series they're just a really good team when those three guys are on the floor and they bought into steve kerr's system so if draymond stays um i take the over and doesn't matter. I'm wondering what you guys. Go ahead, sir. What do you guys? I'm sorry. This is going to be kind of like a sidetrack, but what do you guys think realistically? Trying, trying at your best to take sort of your fandom out out of the equation. Good luck with that. Uh, Bram, you can not answer if you're not able to do this. No. <laughs> uh, but what does it look like for Draymond if he leaves? Like, do you think that he'll actually be as productive and? Uh, 
because I could see it working out kind of the way it has for Jimmy Butler, where he could be somebody who is volatile enough to become a problem. Absolutely. Um, My concern would be if I was Draymond and Draymond's agent, that he has found a team where his strengths aren't, I'm sorry, where his weaknesses aren't needed. Right. I mean, I will immediately concede as one of Draymond's biggest fans that he's not the best scorer. If you needed somebody, if you needed a player who you could give the ball, get out of the way to and get a bucket, that's not Draymond. Right. But if you have a team that can score in spades and what it needs is defensive intelligence, heart, um, you know, the kind of intestinal fortitude required to make sure everyone's giving 100 percent all the time, then Draymond is the guy. And if he's leaving this franchise and goes somewhere else and risks having that combination of everything he doesn't need to do already being there, I think he would risk his legacy a little bit. I absolutely think that. Um, and he would not be as successful somewhere else. Yeah, I agree. I mean, taking the fandom out, I think he is a great player, but he's not an all-star with a lot of other teams. I think there are a few other teams that he's still an all-star with, but you have to flank him with shooters that people respect enough that it opens up the lane for him to push the ball. Um, On the defensive side, I think he's earned Defensive Player of the Year consideration year after year, and there's no taking that away. But, um, yeah, I I think it it would have to be the right situation for him to go to another team and still be Draymond. Otherwise, it would just be a cash grab. Absolutely. Um, I mean, like if you went to like Detroit or something, I don't see that necessarily playing in the right direction. Right. Let me ask you this, Sarah. Who wins more titles over their NBA career? Ben Simmons or Donovan Mitchell? Because Utah just made a hell of a series of moves. You know, I mean, that's the other kind of like dark horse pick that we like to talk about that these guys with Mike Conley have kind of put themselves in a situation where they can succeed but I opened this pod with you talking about the unbelievable lasting upside of Philly and obviously that's Ben Simmons so if you had to bank on one of these guys future who would you bank on I would definitely bank on Ben Simmons and that is that is not because I don't have questions about his abilities because I've been one of the the front runners of a critic of him um, but if you're looking, like we we said earlier, the landscape in the West is so heavy. There's there's so there's so much good talent in the West. I don't think that anybody would. It's not shocking to say like I don't know if Utah's going to win a championship. I don't even know if they're going to get close because of how many good teams there are. But if you're looking at the East, Ben Simmons just signed a max contract extension to stay with Philly. They're right now lined up to be one of the contending teams in the East for years to come. They've got a lot of youth on their team, a lot of defensive youth on their team, which is going to be helpful in the kind of free agency year that's coming up. Uh, I definitely bank on Ben. Who would win in a three-point contest, Ben Simmons or my left foot? My left foot can shoot. I should tell you, my left foot can shoot. Okay, well, then I'm take your left foot. <laughs> I didn't let you guys answer. What do you think? Donovan or Ben? Uh, I'd say Ben for the same reasons that Sarah brought up. The West is just so tough. I don't see Utah being able to beat the Lakers, the Clippers, or the Rockets um, You know, in the playoffs. Like Donovan Mitchell and Joe Ingles go a little quiet in the playoffs, and you know they'll be a strong regular season team, but... They're just not set up. You know, Philly just has to contend with now Milwaukee 
pretty much. And then, you know, they're, that's who they're going to be battling. That Maybe Boston. That Philly roster also has like an it factor to it. I mean, you look at Utah and it screams talent. It yeah. absolutely does. There's a bunch of dudes who've been there and I expect big things from them. You look through the Philly roster and by the third person, you're like, wow. You know, like they, they have this much. Al Horford, Joe Mines got. So I think I'm with you as well. Um, and here is a question. Wait, that, hold on, hold go on. Go ahead. Because I'm not, I'm, I'm actually not totally sold on that. Um, I think I don't know, and I would actually be very curious, Sarah, if you if you can give any validity to this speculation. I want this to be an angry response because you were making angry facial expressions while we were all speaking. Oh yeah, so oh, I want something okay. big. Okay. I mean, well, so the thing that I'm angry about is is it's the same problem that I have with Kawhi and all of this like presumptive Clippers favoritism. Uh, th- that dude played. Uh, half of the regular season last year, there are serious questions about his health. And Joel Embiid is another one who's right up there, who was like a, literally a game-time decision for half of the friggin' playoffs. I don't trust... He almost had load management in the playoffs. Yeah, in the playoffs. <laughs> That's ridiculous. So, I mean, you know, I mean, he's the cornerstone. I, I know that you want to say that Ben Simmons is the cornerstone guy, and that's Sarah, that's what I was going to ask you about. To what extent, you know, I think if Ben Simmons cannot develop a reliable shot... Like that's sketchy because if you, if Embiid goes down, that suddenly becomes a very uh, difficult to put on the floor team on the offensive end, and I don't really trust them. They've so, reached out to my left foot if it makes any difference to you. And just so that you know, I don't know that changes the analysis. Right, but and you're like, I want to play the field. My I can't do it. No, 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 I need shoot. it. I, I have another job, and I need to walk around and stuff. So he's not going to join them, but it's there. Because ultimately, the question you asked was Donovan Mitchell versus Ben Simmons, which is not Utah Jazz and 76ers, right? Which who will win more titles. Yeah, right, between those two individuals. And I think that, you know, Mitchell is going to be Utah's guy in perpetuity as much as anybody can and we just saw the Thunder trade off their guy who was the epitome of the franchise guy mm-hmm. so who knows in this era but I think Ben Simmons is much more likely to get traded oh. than Donovan Mitchell is and I you know and to that end I don't know it's a toss up there you go and we have to factor in the 76ers let go a key key piece that should not go unmentioned here in Boban and it was very upsetting to me I'm sure Sarah can weigh in on the Bobby and Toby show that is now no longer possible and it's just very disheartening I don't think you make a move like that and still have legitimate championship aspirations we are in desperate need of a new logo for our show now that Duran is gone and I've considered just using Boban's face so (laughs) it is there but Sarah you made a uh a noise that is unmistakable for I have something to say. Shoot, what do you got to say? <laughs> yeah, so to Maxine's point, I think I'm less worried than maybe anybody about Joe Embiid's health. I was there through every single day of it. I saw the guy. I know that it's not something that you have to worry about, like lingering injuries and stuff like that. He is a stable dude. I'm and flipping him off right now, Sarah, right just so you know. I'm flipping Maxime off as you say this. Go ahead. Keep going. You're at, I mean, you're absolutely right. Just, and right. He just, suck just on follow her Twitter, Maxime, and then you'll know all of this. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Sarah. There, <laughs> there were issues in the playoffs, and I think that a lot of that stems back to not only the preseason, but definitely the first part of the season where Joe Embiid went into last season thinking, I'm going to play every game, the most minutes, I'm going to show everybody that I'm best. Well, he ended up playing the most minutes out of any player in the NBA for like, I think the first month, month and a half. That's ridiculous for a guy of his size and a guy of his importance on a team. They, 
ownership down to coaching staff should have seen that that was a problem earlier, and then they admitted that that was a problem at the end of the season. And Joel Embiid finished out the year saying, that can't happen. We're going to make sure that we have a plan to deliver me to the playoffs as healthy as possible. Now, part of that plan is named Al Horford because you need to have a – when Joel Embiid was off the court last season and during the playoffs, the plus-minus difference was ridiculous. It was something that I've never seen before. So you bring in, number one, the only guy that could really stop him in the East, and you plug him in as a guy who can not only play next to him but can spare him minutes on nights when he needs to rest or give him – you know, time to rest during the playoffs when it comes to that. Al Horford is a huge insurance policy for Joel Embiid, so that's I don't worry about. Have but you... to Maxine's point, if Ben Simmons does not shoot the ball this season, I think that you're going to hear a lot more noise about Philly looking at trade options because we're now going into the fourth year of him being able-bodied to learn how to shoot the ball. I have watched him shoot threes during practice and warm-ups for two and a half years now, and he's not doing it in games. All he needs to do is just have a few jumpers a game, maybe a spot up three in the corner. That's all he has to do is just have the threat of him being able to do it. And if he goes into the season and does not shoot the ball, it's going to be problematic because as much as Golden State has no problems with spacing, that is the hugest problem for the Sixers going into the next season. This seems like a perfect place to put this question. Is there any truth to the rumor that you are thinking about moving into the position as Ben Simmons' shooting coach and Embiid's physician next year? Is that is that rumor accurate? I'm willing and open to any possibility. <laughs> I knew it. No, I absolutely knew it. Uh, let me ask you this one, and what it, it'll illustrate my fandom, but I think it's an important question, and it's going to require a little trip back through time, so everybody come with me. Um, the Warriors win 73 games. They lose a seven-game series to the Cavs, and then they invite KD. And we learn through uh, you know social media and everything else that apparently Draymond, after the loss, Game 7, goes into the parking lot, fires off a call to KD, and that's why Durant joins us right in Golden State. And for the last few years, we've heard nothing but people giving Draymond endless about how he shouldn't have made that call and this is ridiculous and they're ruining the NBA, yada, yada, yada. Now, fast forward to this year. Kawhi Leonard wins a title. Didn't, didn't lose one. Won a title. And somewhere following that title makes a call to Paul George and, well, first calls uh, uh, KD, but then ultimately calls Paul George, forms this super team, and the narrative is not that Kawhi is ruining the league or that competitive balance is being destroyed or that he was wrong to make the call. The narrative is that, wow, did we call Kawhi wrong? What an amazing team builder. What a great personality. This is great for the league that he's created it. Why the hell is there that disparity, Sarah? Why why are we looking Draymond one way, he shouldn't have made the call, and then celebrating Kawhi on the other side? Because this thing, it just seems ridiculous to me. I think that part of it is that the Warriors had just won, so you already are on a pedestal that everyone wants to knock you off of. Where, and then on the other side of that right now, we have like Kawhi and Paul George going to a team that has won nothing. Mm-hmm. And then there's the other part about Draymond's personality. And Paul George and Kawhi are, how can I put this nicely, uh, less outgoing, right? They're, they're boring in comparison, right? They're yeah, boring in comparison. They don't cause as much 
controversy. You've got a guy like Dreamer. Anything that he says because of how he's been shown in the media, and part of that is by his own fault, that he's going to cause people to fall on one side or the other. He's not a very like middle-of-the-road kind of guy. Um, and then the other part of that is just that the, I guess the viewpoint of the league is changing, the way that people look at the league. There were a few years there where when we saw super teams forming, for lack of a better term, that it was a little bit shocking and everybody hated the idea just because maybe they'd forgotten that it's been happening already for 30 years. Um, And then now it's sort of, there's like this empowerment mentality where the players have the power to make their own decision and it's a player's power league. And I think that maybe there's just a little bit of shift in emotion and the way that look at people look at the league. Hmm. Uh, but I think a lot of it has to do with who was on top at the time when those calls were made. Yeah, that makes sense. That's interesting. Um, did it piss you guys off, the way this thing is being viewed, the the Kawhi recruitment? I didn't think about it that way, like in comparison to Draymond. Um, I agree with Sarah. I think it's all based on the team that Kawhi and Paul George are going to, you know, like the Clippers haven't won. They kind of went through the whole Donald Sterling thing. They have a, you know, a new owner now. And I think that's just kind of the narrative that overpowers um, player recruitment. Um, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't, never thought about it that way. I think it's just personality. It's just because it's Draymond, you know, like a lot of people just don't like Draymond. He's that player. If he's on your team, you love him. If you don't, you hate him. I think it's that team. I think it's the Warriors that engender hate. I think that Draymond is, I mean, he, he's the player that you like to hate on the team you already hate, but I think it's almost an acceleration. So that's a, that's exactly where I'm at. I think it's all about the Warriors, but for a different reason than you guys are talking about. It's because what happens simultaneously with Kawhi taking Paul George to the Clippers, the Warriors dynasty ended. Right, so we can they, the media at large can celebrate that at the same time, and that sort of overshadows it. Right, mm-hmm. it, it goes from this team is already historically great to now this team is legitimately maybe the best team that the NBA has ever seen. Right, as opposed to like okay, well this you know there's like this two stars yeah. in one place that's not as scary, blah blah blah, and the Warriors are now no longer this dynastic. And team. it was juxtaposed because what we thought was going to happen is he was going to join the Lakers, mm-hmm. you know, and so what was we were now at the precipice of this other super team. And instead, he created a you know another side to that pendulum within the very city that the super team currently existed. But before. and people didn't always hate the Warriors when we were winning, won the first championship, and like starting to to play really well. When we were like, happy, we were yeah, we were um, you know the darling team. And then Draymond kicks Stephen Adams in the groin a few times. Nuts. Steph throws his <laughs> mouth guard at a referee. Like you know those things mount up, and people say, oh, this team is. You know, like they've changed and they're not, they don't represent the joy that they used to. And then KD gets hurt and they play that way for four games against Portland. Then all of a sudden they're like, oh, I love watching this team again. So I think it, it, it kind of wavers based on the personnel, but I think they'll get some of that charm back because it's not like a cakewalk for them to the finals and they have to play again and they're going to play with that same fun style. We've got a you've got hate mail that I need your take on, Sarah, and I know I'm keeping you longer than I promised, so I'm going to get to that next subject. But first, let me ask this last question. Who do you guys think wins the 2020 NBA title? 
And I know I heard you. Clippers are the favorites, right? But there's a difference between who wins it and uh, who should be favored. I am sure that we will change our response. We are currently months and months and months away before even training camp. But whichever one of you, uh, lady and gentlemen, want to go first, field the question. Who will be the champ? I think it's going to be the Clippers. I think they're going to win the title. Nice. I'm going to go Rockets. <clears throat> what? Yeah. Why? You love the Westbrook move? I don't love it, but it's an upgrade from Chris Paul. And I, I think their defensive guy, I can never pronounce his last name, Jeff Bizadezadelic. Bizadelic. No, I can't pronounce it, but that was wrong. I think, exactly. <laughs> I think he's leaving is, again. Is it an upgrade? Exactly. Wait, let him finish and then Sarah, destroy him. Okay. I think if he stays, you know, like he he brings an X factor to their defense playing well. He left and they were shitty the whole first half of the season. He comes back and then they're playing well again. Um, but I just think the they didn't lose anybody, you know, except for Chris Paul and they traded him in for Russell Westbrook. Mm-hmm. So I just think they're a sleeper team. They they were always in contention. They just couldn't get past us as the final hurdle. I think the Lakers need a year to gel, and I think the Clippers need a year to gel. I mean, Paul George had two shoulder surgeries. Like, Kawhi's got load management. I just, I, I, I don't know. I just think the Rockets are going to surprise. And, Sarah, I want you to talk us out of this, but let me add a couple of points so that you can address my concerns as well. All right? I don't think these that backcourt matches up. I heard somebody call them the Crash Brothers as opposed to the Splash Brothers. I like that. But I also think it's going to have a lot to do with mentality. Where Harden and Westbrook are in their careers, individual stats probably don't matter as much. Championships do. Everyone's been, been critiquing them. And if they both come into this year with the mindset, literal mindset of, we're going to win. I don't know, whatever that means. Whatever I need to do to win, the talent that's behind them is enough to make them prohibitive favor. Maybe not prohibitive, but certainly favors. So that's what I'm worried about, is that they finally achieve. Westbrook and Harden don't go into this thing thinking respectively, MVP, triple-double, they think, what can we do to do to, together to win it all? So with that on the table, are we wrong? I mean, Westbrook and Harden are two of the players who they need the ball in their hands. They have to. But like, what are they going to do without the ball in your hands? So you're going to have one of them at each point who's completely rendered useless. And they're not each going to score 60 points a night. Like that's just, and that's not how basketball works. And I just, I don't know that it's an upgrade. Uh, I think I am kind of thinking that this is not going to work out as great as people think. I think that this might end up imploding a little bit. Um, as far as the Clippers are concerned though, I mean, they beat you guys with Landry Samet. So now you're adding, <laughs> now you're adding Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Like they still have Montrose. Can we settle they down? They Luke didn't Will. win a series. They pushed us to six, but I feel like a lot of people are mistaking talent for or I'm sorry, mistaking apathy for talent. I'm not sure the Warriors gave it their their full all against your boy Landry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just think they have I think they've got an, a great team who can contend in the West before they added Kawhi Leonard, maybe the best player in the NBA, especially last season, and Paul George, who was playing his ass off before he started having shoulder problems and kind of falling off. And I have no doubt that both of those guys are going to have a healthy offseason. I think it's going to be really important, especially considering the last couple of years. 
I think it probably takes a toll playing next to next to Westbrook. I mean, we've heard that from Hart and West once. I don't know how people think this is going to work. <laughs> I I just don't see it working. And who's playing defense there? Well, what also are they doing? to back you, Sarah, um, this has happened before. In fact, they not only played on the same team; they had Kevin Durant. And if memory serves, they didn't win. Sh- in fact, they went to the Western Conference Finals. Did they win it? So they didn't win the, the title at all. And that franchise looked at them and decided this is not going to happen. I mean, I mean, like, I understand they didn't get to develop, but people who get paid money to make basketball decisions looked at this already and said, this isn't working with Kevin Durant. But they said the same thing about Chris Paul. Dominant ball guard. There's no, there's only one ball on the court. They didn't he can't win. coexist. We were right. They didn't win. He was the, we were, they were a Chris Paul hamstring away from beating us. You're telling me why they didn't win. They didn't. They they did not win. I mean, that, like that, the bottom line, history will always look back on the lack of championships for Houston. Yeah. But I'm saying using that to say a healthy Westbrook moving forward is the reason why they do win. The one thing that, that spoke, I don't agree that that means they win. But if I'm looking at why you make the trade, the one thing that made sense to me beyond the probable funk between Harden and Paul and they needed to clear the locker room was the idea that if you're Houston and you know you desperately need Chris Paul, but you cannot bank on him being healthy in the Western Conference Finals, then you need to make a move for equal talent of someone who's actually going to play basketball. Yep. You know, and, and from that standpoint, they do. They have that dude you know now chris paul has also spent his entire life distributing right basically and it's going to require a mental shift from westbrook but if he can make it he can make it right um all right let's jump into one of my favorite subjects uh we have not done this one for a while in fact boys i'm not sure you guys have ever been a part of one i know sarah has this topic is called you've got hate mail so Listeners are nice enough to give us compliments. Those compliments are uh, not entertaining enough to read to you guys. I won't bore you with them. Fortunately enough, we don't only get compliments. In fact, we get a lot of really nasty takes, and this may be shocking. A lot of them are aimed at me. In fact, someone once told me my personality type is like the candy corn of radio. I don't know if you guys have ever had candy corn. People tend to either love or hate candy corn. No one's like in the middle. You know, like either they're like, oh, I love it, or I can't stand it. Turns out my takes tend to elicit a similar response. So in this segment, I'm going to read you guys uh, some hate mail we've recently received. After we've gone through the hate mail, what I want you to do is tell me, guess how old the person is who wrote it, what profession it is that uh, they currently occupy, and then finally grade the hate mail. Sarah, I know you're an old pro at this. The only wrinkle here is that my guy who wrote in this time didn't just write in once. This dude has been just leaking out FU opinions over the last few months. He's given me two takes on Reddit and then finally a review on iTunes. So (laughs) all three of you sit back. I'm going to read all three and then we'll jump in. All right. The first of the three. So these all come from... uh, a gentleman who calls himself Bobby Boucher. Um, and before we get too far, thank you so much, Bobby, for your for your work in Waterboy. Um, really an amazing story of, uh, of triumph over shortcomings. You know what I mean? Like not only were you great at delivering water, but you ended up being one of the best middle linebackers of all time. So thank you for that. Let's jump into his takes. The first take way back in April of 2019 this was a, uh, a, a comment to one of the episodes that we posted. Quote, best part was due to the poor audio editing, I could barely hear Bram babble like an awkward teenager during the pod. 
We fast forward about a month again as a response to one of our posted episodes. Bobby, my boy Boucher, dropped this, quote, three minutes in, tell your co-host to, quote, go F yourself, question mark. I don't know where you got the idea that cursing at others about your insecurities was entertaining, but it's not. It's off-putting. So not positive that his message had been heard. Bobby took to the computer for a third time. Deciding that everybody needed to know just how awful my takes were on iTunes. This is a review on iTunes. And I, I, I don't mind telling you guys that like I read the iTunes reviews hell of carefully. Like they mean the world to me. Those of you who have been nice enough to actually give us reviews. It means everything. And like we have a good amount. You know, this dude gave us a one star. If it was just a one star, just that. If he had said nothing, it would have broke my heart. It would have broke my heart. But he didn't just do a one star. He also added the following quote. Bram has assembled a decent crew in podcast format, but his lack of self-confidence and constantly making aggressive statements when someone disagrees with him are off-putting. This isn't humorous and causes discomfort. If he had more confidence, he'd let his natural humor carry the pod. Unfortunately, it's cringy and low effort. <laughs> So, I mean, I don't feel like it's low effort. I don't mind saying these things. But anyway, so those are our three takes. I don't mind telling you that the first one I kind of, you know, was what it was. I was kind of entertained. By the second one, well, he had my attention. You know what I mean? By the third one, and I recognized they were all from Bobby Boucher. This dude's in my head. He's just in my head. I, I go to sleep hearing him tell me that I'm cringy and low effort. So those are our reads. Sarah, I need an age, his profession, and then judge all three of his efforts. All right, I've got some follow-up questions first. Um, <laughs> did you notice if he, like, how's his grammar, spelling? Solid, solid so far. Um, there was a somewhat lack of commas. Some of his, his takes tend to run on, but they all seem to be well-spelled. Okay, and uh, in each of them, was his username the same, or did he, do you have, like, an email or what's the situation great question so the username was the exact same across two platforms which is what ultimately caught my mind i mean i'll, I'll further bring you into like behind the scenes i read the first two takes on reddit and i mean i saw bobby boucher so the second one i was kind of pissed off then i caught this uh review on itunes and i read it and i was hell of sad and then i continued to read it and saw the name and i was like no <laughs> like you even found me here you bastard so names consistent across the board all right, all right. Um, I'm going to say that he is 27. I love this segment so much. All right, go ahead. <laughs> and that he is a, I'm going to assume he's Bay Area also. Just That's one assumption I'm making. Uh, and I'm like going to assume that he's some sort of like a, like a courier, like a... Uh, mm like a bike courier. Maybe he's <laughs> caviar and Grubhub part of the time. Maybe he's like a message liver part of the time. I just found out that that's like actually still a job. So good for him for hanging in the message courier business. Um, that away, Mr. Boucher. I think that it's, I think it's going to take a young person to spend that much time on Reddit and actually know how to leave a review on iTunes. <laughs> and I'm also going to assume that they've got a lot of time on the hand downtime on the phone um and usually people that have time on their hands uh 
aren't in very high pressure careers. So sorry, Bobby. Maybe he's a corporate lawyer. I have, he might be your coworker. For right. Wow, you really veered the other <laughs> side of that spectrum. Holy <laughs> shit! Yeah. Or maybe he's a CEO. In fact, I think it's Joe Lakeham. <laughs> <laughs> what it, and then we all find out it's Scott. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that would not be a surprise but, at all, at all. Wait, did I say Bobby? Because he spells Bobby S C O T D. Last time we did this, I think I gave like a B plus or an A minus yeah. to the hate mail. That, and, and it's because, just to remind again, the listeners, because I cried and had to call my mom, which is re- what really spoke <laughs> to you. Yeah. Is if, yeah, yeah, yeah. And see, the thing is, is that there is a recurring theme here that I cry and call it's my mom. Clear to people, yeah, it's <laughs> clear to people that you are very self-deprecating about your insecurities and you play light on them. But the previous time I did this, he did a really good job pointing these out. This guy used the word cringy, and that's just not being creative or original at all. And he used three different platforms to say the same thing. So if you're going to come out and say something three times, maybe say something different. I'm giving this one a C minus. <laughs> Gentlemen, have <laughs> I'm going to go 42 year old. Uh-huh. He is a appliance repairman and drives Lyft or Uber on the side. And that's what gives him the time to listen to it. Um, and I think because he said babbling like a teenager, that's something that you pick up once you get a little older and you, you know, you don't say stuff like that when you're too young. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Um, and I would grade it a B. He used off putting twice, which, you know, like <laughs> find another way. You like go to the sit, get a synonym or something. Sure. Um, I mean, through, through different messages to yeah, be exactly. fair to him, but yeah. Fair enough, fair <laughs> enough. But it, it was solid, you know, like he, he took the time to listen and he was just fired up about it. And he was like, this is how I feel about this. And, I, you know, I, I appreciate that he went to multiple platforms to make sure that you understood how he feels about it. Strangely, things. I don't appreciate it, but I see where you're coming from. Maxine? Yeah, yeah that's that's really nice. I was going to say drives through Uber and Lyft on the yeah. side. That is a solid take. Um, I'm thinking late 30s, say like 37. He's like front desk for you know, a firm that like sells large scale office equipment. Um, so that's how, that's how he has all the time to listen to this stuff. Um, my dad always used to say that, uh, you have to try to fail. Like you have to try to get an F on a test. Like that is just brutally bad. And in the same way, I think you have to try to be this consistently self-deprecating. It doesn't just come to you. That's like, I see him over here sweating. So like, Bobby, you're going to have to try harter than saying that like, this is half ass. This is is full ass. Bram is all ass in. I I give everything I have to be this cringy, Bobby. It is what it is. (laughs) So, so my grade is, is B minus. I'm going to go. Uh, I also want to say, Please. I just want to say, I'm giving this guy a bad grade because he brought up the fact, <laughs> I did, he brought up the fact that Bram said, go yourself, you want to get. <laughs> and if you, if you know Bram, and if you're coming on the show, I promise you, Bobby Boucher, you're expecting that to happen. <laughs> so no one thinks it's off-putting. I no think it happened to us. That. I'm pretty sure it happened oh, to you and I today. <laughs> so I think that's absolutely right. <laughs> Um, it's literally how you started the podcast. That's it. That's exactly right. Also, Sarah, go f- yourself. <laughs> Damn it! I have one more question. Can you? What was the? You said the first. 
email was in April. When was the iTunes review? Actually, written? to be fair, because I crescendoed to it, I'm glad you said that. And I'm sure Bobby is furious somewhere. <laughs> so to make sure that it is not low effort and at least genuine, his first actually was the iTunes review. That was in February of this year. Then came the two Reddit takes. So it was February, April, May. I can't I can't decide if that like drastically lowers or drastically raises his grade. Because like it he hates the show and yet he's still listening for months. What it means is this dude is like by the second he's like he's like, No, <laughs> no, he needs to know that I don't like this. But which gets to my ultimate take. I think this guy is a single father or is at home doing something. He's had a career that didn't work out well and always thought that he should be in entertainment one way or the other. Because of that, he happens to be listening to this show. We are doing a show he feels like he should be doing. This is his role and is remarkably angry that we are not doing the exact thing that he wants us to do. Really, what we are hearing is uh, jealousy. Put differently, Bobby, go fuck yourself. <laughs> Welcome to the show, buddy. I'm glad that you got to be a guest on here. You got the full experience. Uh, Age-wise, only if I'm giving you a kid, I'm going to say late 20s. You had that kid a little bit earlier than you thought. Everything's going well there, but it has prevented you from having the career you thought the path that was going to be necessary for you to have the success, which is why I'm currently drowning in your resentment. So we get to the grade. Pretty solid, man. If you had just given me that review, I mean, hey, it hurt me. I'm not going to tell you it didn't, man. It fucking hurt me for sure. But because you, you, you diluted the take, I'm going to drop you down to... Uh, to be plus. I, I still think it was solid. He had a message and he stuck to it, which credit to him. Just as a random aside for anybody out there who wants to help us, whenever I read that review, it makes me cry like a single tear. You know what I mean? Like it's not sobbing, but like a single tear. If you like us and want to help, please hop on iTunes and drop a review, please. <laughs> Even if it's a lie, just tell us that it's high effort and not cringy, whatever it is you want to say, but it would be really appreciated. But, uh, that's my take on Mr. Boucher. Also, Bobby, if you are listening, we'd love to know if these takes are right. Like, Call in. Yeah, call, call in. in. Let us we, know who you are. Yeah, give shoot it. an email. I will give you a platform in a heartbeat, an absolute heartbeat. <laughs> Write in uh, Reddit, iTunes, anything you want, Bobby. We will get you on it. Pull over. Don't, don't text and drive when you're driving for Lyft. <laughs> Pull over. Send us the info. Yeah, put your kid to bed. Give us a call, <laughs> and we'll take it from there. Any parting shots, gentlemen? Any other any thoughts? Sarah, anything on uh, You've Got Hate Mail before we, we cycle out? Uh, Bobby, we love you. Come on the show. <laughs> um, I would like to just say, people, please leave reviews and comments and send in emails. I have nothing to do with this podcast except for as a guest, but when we get hate mail, I love being the person that breaks it down, so I just want more of that. You're the go-to person. It's my favorite thing. <laughs> I, couldn't, I couldn't love anything on this podcast more. Um, also, just before we finish out, this is aside from the hate mail. You're not Bobby Boucher, are you? <laughs> Whoa, what was Shout that? out to Maxine. Oh, Shout God out damn to Maxine. <laughs> For patronizing public libraries, I very much appreciate that, and um, we're we're friends now. That's that's that. <laughs> Shout out to Sarah for listening to our last pod. We yeah. definitely appreciate yes. that. Also, new rules. We go forward. I can't stop what just happened. As we go forward, no shout-outs to Maxime. Anybody out there who wants to give a shout-out to Maxime, just stop right <laughs> Just now. leave it in the iTunes review. Yeah, that's right. Okay, you can leave it. Call. Our number is 1-800-BOBBY-BOUCHER. <laughs> it's a lot of numbers, but it's worth listening. Uh, Sarah, 
You know how much we appreciate you. You also know that we are not alone in that sentiment. If people would like more Sarah Todd in their life, where do they go? Uh, it's the off season, so you can read my stuff anywhere. And you can follow me at NBA Sarah on all social media platforms and see all of my uh, really shitty beach Instagram photos. <laughs> Boom. Marcus, you want to tell everybody about our Twitter account? Or? Uh, no, we'll save it. We'll save it. <laughs> For us, we'll keep it simple. If you'd like to be included in the You've Got Hate Mail take, you agree with Bobby, you hate my takes, you don't want to give a shout out to Maxime, you enjoy Marcus, whatever it is, we can be hit up at warriorshuddle at gmail.com. Our Twitter account is at warriorshuddle. We're also up on Patreon where we love you more than we can possibly tell you. Before we get out of here, let me give you guys a quick heads up. I am leaving the country. Uh, Starting in a couple of days here, this Wednesday, I'm going to be finding myself in Tokyo, no less. So you're not going to hear from me for a few weeks. The boys may record without me. We'll all find out together, but I at least wanted to give you a heads up before I disappeared. With that in mind, go Warriors, and hopefully we'll see you real soon. Good, good. Mike Rowe here with a radical idea. If you want to see more companies make more things in this country, buy more things from more companies who make things in this country. I refer in this case to the incredible t-shirts, sweatshirts, blue jeans, and more made by my friends at American Giant. Everything American Giant makes is made in the United States. And right now, you can take 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com slash Mike. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike.